Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. You weren't ready for that, were you? I, I watched that 20 or 30 times this week, and it slays me every single time. I'm out in the lobby before this. I'm like, guys, guys, guys you got to make it in. You don't want to miss this video. Don't miss this video. It's so good. And he's, he, he, at the, that face at the end, he's so disappointed in himself. He knows you're disappointed in him. And he's like, I'm, I'm more disappointed in myself than you're disappointed in me. It's so good. Anyways. Hey, welcome to East Lake. We're so glad that you're here. Thanks for uh, watching online for those of you who tune in online who didn't get to see what I just watched because uh, we don't post the video. That's why you should come to church more often. Uh, and uh, just kidding. I, I know it's hard. It's harsh. Um, we are glad that you tuned in or are watching this on replay or whatever. Um, and those of you who are in person, you, uh, you're the winners this time around. You get to watch that. So um, we are on part three of a series we're calling This Time Around. It's a series on resolve. And we define, we, we said that resolve has been kind of one of those things that, um, it's a level of commitment. It's something that you like choose to resolve to do. You, you, you've identified some things in your life or, or hopefully have or, or will or um, should uh, look at it and go, this in my area is too big to fail. I, I, need to res- I need to have some resolve here. Resolve meaning I'm not gonna let this thing fail. I'm not gonna not succeed in this. I'm gonna work hard at this. You, you, if you're a new dad or a new mom, you go, I have, I have one shot to, I have 18 years to raise this kid to the best of my abilities. I'm going to resolve to do this right. You got a new job, you got a new something, you got a new marriage. I'm going to resolve to make this marriage work. And we said this time around, both being this time around the sun as in this year, we always typically do this in January, uh, or this new season that I'm in, right? And this, I get a second shot at, at this. Uh, this is, I'm, I'm raising a kid again. I'm getting married again. I'm, I'm at this new job this time around. It's going to be different. I'm going to resolve to make some changes uh, in this way. We're on part three of this thing. If you missed the first two parts, you can go to eastlaketricities.com slash talks or download our app and get that on demand if you want to catch up uh, on it. <clears throat> but uh, essentially, we said resolutions are great, uh, but it's no, they don't really hold a candle to resolve. Resolutions are, I'm going to try really hard to do something because I feel convictions about it. And we are at that time in January where everybody loves to be asked, uh, how's those resolutions going? Because you're like, it's late January. I'm, I'm still doing it, man. Thanks for asking, you know? And you feel really good about yourself. Um, resolves doesn't have like a time frame on it. It doesn't have a limitation. It's just like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm making sure that I make these things happen. And, and I said, uh, this ha- these happen on two different levels. They can happen on a personal level. And I hope that you, uh, I hope that you discover for yourself areas in which you can choose to resolve. Um, and, but it happens on a corporate level too. And we, we've said that in January for the last couple of years, it's been a time, a window for, for me to be able to come to you as the pastor of this church, as the leader of this organization and say, we are going to resolve to do something different this year. And it's, it's been flex. It's been about baptisms one year and growth one year and getting into a new space was one of our years. And then uh, for this year, it's, it's basically comes down to three different things. One is I, I want to be a part of helping you uh, resolve to find your people, to grow spiritually and to make a difference. Find your people, grow spiritually, make a difference. At the end of 2023, I hope that you are sick of me talking. I hope that you can't want wait for January of 2024 to start a new one, but because I've talked about this so much, but finding your people, growing spiritually, 
uh, and making a difference. Last week we said finding your people is a critical thing. I think it deserves some of your best attention, some of your heightened efforts, something you cannot fail to do. Um, you, you, we all want to be somebody, but it's really critically important to be known by somebody as well, known, known by some buddies, people who you can be authentic with, who can call you out when, when you're kind of projecting half-truths or some sort of image or or whatever, um, people who are honest with you, people who are untransparent with you, hold you accountable. Um, you and I, we, we need those kind of people. They're hard to come by. It's the kind of community that um, once you have it, you, you, you recognize the value of it. And, and then when it's gone, when somebody moves away or you, you know, it's, they change whatever jobs or something like that, you realize how much you miss it because um, you, you, you needed those people. You, I want you to find your people. I, I, I really, and last week I said, I want you to leave from here. I want you to just resolve. Listen, if Eastlake can help me, and I hope that they do, but I'm going to make this thing happen. I'm going to find some people this year, and I'm going to do life with them in a way that, that speaks to the core of my being, that I don't, have to, I don't have to project a certain image or manage something. I get to be, I get to be me, and they get to uh, accept me for who I am and, and go from there. So that's a critical piece. Uh, and, and then today, uh, we said this, that uh, we're going to, I want, I hope that you leave from today resolving to grow spiritually. Now, that is a, a little bit broad intentionally because I, I would guess that anybody sitting in here is like, that's why I'm here. That seems superfluous to say, um, I think you should resolve to grow spiritually. Why do you think that I'm here, you know, taking up a, a time where I could be at home watching football or doing something different, uh, but I'm at church, so uh, I want to grow spiritually. Then I would say, what do you think it means to grow spiritually? And I think if I uh, did this and said, all right, everybody take a you know, pen and paper, you grab a note sheet or whatever on your way in, write down what you think it means to grow spiritually. My guess is uh, that there would be kind of a diverse opinion on what that means. Um, I think for some, it would be you know, Bible knowledge more or you know, uh, this. I think for some, it would be um, uh, more church attendance or, or more. I, I mean, I don't know. I think it would be, I don't think we'd have uniformity on this. I don't think it's as easy of an answer uh, as possible. And so uh, in, in light of that, I, I think it's important to understand and remind ourselves uh, in this sort of scenario, when I say grow spiritually, I want to break off against one common perspective, which is like, I, I just want to be, become more theologically, I, I want to know more answers. I want to know, I think it has to do with knowledge and filling my brain with more content. And the problem with that sometimes is that content and spiritual maturity can be mutually exclusive. I and mean, they don't have to be, but they can be which is why people in my position sometimes, uh, like mine, are constantly in news for doing really stupid stuff. They know all the right answers, but they just don't do it, don't follow through with that. So it's not just that, it's something more than that. I wanna break the box of what you maybe think of when it, things, when it comes to grow spiritually. So what I wanna do if you're taking notes is attack it in three different ways. One, I wanna try and provide a definition for you of what I think we should be talking about. Let's, let's, let's clean up the vocabulary and define uh, what I think growing spiritually might look like. And if you're going to resolve to do it, this is what it means. And then a, a means of getting there, a method in which we grow spiritually, and then evidence of it so that we can track our progress and see how far we've come with that. So definition, a means, and evidence. Definition, means, and evidence. Let's start with definition uh, real quick. I think, what, what, what do I think I mean when I say I want you to resolve to grow um, spiritually? What exactly is growing when you say I, I want to grow in my faith? I think what's growing, and I think what you think should think is growing, is a level of trust 
in a relationship because trust is always the secret sauce to every relationship, be it a marriage relationship, an employment relationship, a friendship. Trust is key. It's the, it's the grease that keeps things running. It's the oil in the engine that makes it kind of work together. As soon as trust is absent from a relationship, it's like running an engine without oil. Eventually, the parts that were designed to work together are going to work against each other and it's going to break down. It's not going to be great. Trust. This idea of I'm what's growing, my what's growing is my trust in God, in who He says He is, and what He says He's gonna do. I think what we see in even from the very beginning in the Genesis story, as humanity tries to make sense of where we stand in relation to the God of the universe or the Yahweh God of Israel and where we are and who we are, um, is them telling this story of a rejection of trust. God places Adam and Eve in a garden and says, have your way with whatever you want, except this one thing. Trust me, you don't want to eat from this one tree. And for a long time, they're like, that's fine. We don't need that tree. And then in comes the serpent or the tempter and says, well, maybe, maybe you shouldn't trust God. Maybe he's trying to keep something from you. Maybe that tree is the pathway or the key or the whatever to becoming something that he doesn't want you to be because then you'd be equal with him and all those kind of things. And so what's presented is to them is an opportunity to not trust in God, and so that's when she takes the apple, apple, and and eats it, or the fruit, and eats it. Um, it's a simple, it's a, it's a symbol of mankind's first rejection of God, saying, "I don't trust that what you have is necessarily best for me. I don't trust you when you say this is not good for you. Don't do this. That this is not the way that you should go. I'm going to choose to do things my way. I'm going to be in the driver's seat on this, and I will determine what's good for me and what's not good for me. And ever since." God has been in this redemptive story of trying to pull people back into a trust relationship with him. Will you continue to trust me? Christianity is God's way of saying, here's the clearest picture of who I am in the person of Jesus. Will you trust that my way is the right way? Will you trust in living in the way that he kind of defined this thing? So as a, if you find yourself as a Christian, if you, if you consider yourself to be a Christ follower, uh, then, then you're on a pathway of, of trusting God. That, that's, I think, what's going on. And, and I think when you say, I want to grow, it doesn't mean when I say uh, Job chapter 36, you go page 644, right? That's not really, that's dumb. Though. Like, like, who cares about that? I'm saying, I'm, I want you to be able to be like, how do I know that I'm, I'm growing? What, what is it growing? I'm, I'm trusting God more now than I did a year ago, than I did five years ago, than I did 10 years ago. My life is more characterized, my relationship with God is more characterized by trust. And it's fueling the relationship, it's making it function, and it's making my life function better. I think you do better in life when you, when you operate in this way too. So that's a definition. All right, so we've got a definition covered. Now that we know that, that definition of what's growing, our, tr- our level of trust in God is growing. And then what is the means in which that grows? If that's what's measurable, if that's what we think is, is good, then how do we grow? What, what is the process, the methodology in, in making that sort of thing increase? And if you've been a part of Eastlake for any length of time, uh, you'll know this is kind of some material that we've covered in, in the past before, but I think that God uses five things to grow our faith. I think that if I said, all right, take that same piece of paper that you had to write a, de- a definition of what you think is growing when it comes to your faith, I want you to talk about, now you specifically, how have you grown in your faith? If, if increasing level of trust is the key, what would you say, you, how, how, what's the methodology for you? What, what has it been? What's your story? When, and finish this phrase for me. When I grew the most in my relationship with my Heavenly Father was when dot, dot, dot. And my guess is that it would take on the form of one of these five different things. 
Now, it would have names attached to it and places attached to it and actual you know, specific circumstances to it, but we could all boil it down to either practical teaching, private disciplines, personal ministry, providential relationships, or pivotal circumstances. And do they all start with P? Yes, I'm still a pastor, right? That's how these things work. This is as much for me as it is for you, all right? Uh, and some of them are, are like really, you really had to stretch that to make it work. I get it, but I do think that this is important. I think that if you look back on your life, how you grew is in one of these areas. Because what I hear when I, when I meet with people or talk with people or go through this, I hear people say, I grew the most when somebody taught me the Bible and presented teachings in a way that were practical, that had handles on them, that I knew what I needed to do as a result of it. I'd heard it before, but I'd never heard it in that way before. And not only was it inspiring, but I knew what I needed to do on Monday as a result of what I've heard. And it's not just a setting on Sunday mornings. This can be an author that you read. This can be a podcast that you listen to. This can be something where when you heard it, it was not just information, but it actually began to affect what you did in response to the information that you gathered. That it was very tangible. It was like, for the first time, I knew what I needed to do. And I began to act out in this way. And it was practical. It wasn't just esoteric knowledge. It was Step one, step two, step three, and, 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 and I, I know what I need to do now as a result of this. They begin to understand for the first time what was actually taught. This shows up in Jesus when he is out. Jesus was a master teacher at this. He would go out and he would, he would gather together, not just the, 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 the religious folk or the, the people who had a ton of money, but the common folk, the common person. And he would use stories and analogies that would line up with their way of doing life. He would use these, in, in these parables, he would say, have you ever gone out and sowed a seed? You ever lost a sheep? You ever lost a coin? You ever found something that was really precious? And everybody in that room, even though they had nothing to go off, even though they were not necessarily religious, they wouldn't have had all the the knowledge that all the the priests and the rabbis and everything would have known. Everyone sitting there goes, yeah, I've done that. Yeah, I've I've had that happen to me. And he would say, you ever ever, ever found this? The kingdom of heaven is like this person who goes and sows sows a bunch of seeds and then some of it works and then some of it doesn't. You ever had that happen in your life? And they'd be like, yeah. He's like, this is what you, have you ever lost a sheep? This is what you should do. You should leave the 99 and go after the one. I mean, very, very practical teaching. And it says that they were amazed at the authority in which he taught. They had heard truth before. Listen, rabbis were, all, were always in the mix. They grew up more religious than any of us. They would have spent more time in the temple surrounded by religious iconography, uh, surrounded by religious you know, processes, the sacrificial system. All of these, religion would have had a, a much more prominent place to play in their life than it currently does with us as Americans in the 21st century. But for them, they were amazed at his teaching because he's taught with such a unique authority. The, the specific mentions of him going, we've never heard it done like this before. We, we feel like we're involved in this. Like he's brought this down to our level, um, not just an understanding, but an invitation to participate in this. Not that, we're, you know, that we'll, we'll participate in this because we're spiritual and you guys are lucky to have us represent you to the, to the, you know, Yahweh God or whatever, but he invited everybody. This is an all skate. And he goes, you can do this. Here's some practical things to be able to do. Practical teaching right? Number two is private disciplines. This is the obvious one. This is the one that we think of when we think of personal growth. 
um, because we'd say, I grew in my faith when I started reading my Bible more, right? Or, or I mean, this is the, if you grew up in church, this is what everybody says. Or I started go, attending a small group, or I, I, I started praying more, or I started giving more, or I started serving more, doing something. I, these private disciplines, when nobody else is looking, here's what I'm gonna do. I downloaded a Bible app. I, got a, I went to Starting Point and somebody gave me a Bible. And I said, I'm gonna read through the Bible in a year. And then you started that and you're like, all right, I'm gonna read through Genesis in a year. That's what I'm gonna do. And I'm gonna get there. Uh, I'm gonna start praying. And you're gonna, I'm gonna pray for an hour a day. And then you found it's like scheduled nap time. And so you're like, all right, I'm gonna pray for five minutes. I'm gonna stay awake for five minutes and pray. I'm gonna do this. And you're like, I don't even know how to pray, right? And th- th- this, is, this is a lot of people go, I didn't know what I was doing, but I just started because I knew I should do something. I should do something that feels like a discipline because in the area of personal health, in the area of physical fitness, in the area of eating right, I know that discipline is what kind of gets the things rolling. I know it's not just knowledge. It's sometimes I gotta do the hard things. I gotta wake up a little earlier. I gotta do, say no to some things so that I can say yes to the same thing. It's a discipline. It's a, it's a discipline. It's a discipline in this way. So, so my, my, my goal for you would be, yeah, I mean, like you look at your life and go, how do I grow with this? I, I can do something about this. I can start reading more. I can start praying more to some degree. I can start giving. I can do some sort of a giving thing. Listen, giving is the only shortcut that I know to spiritual growth. And I'm not saying that because we're a church and we need your money. I, I'm not, don't, even, don't even give it here if you feel like I'm like biased in that way, okay? I'm just saying if you want to grow spiritually, the only shortcut I know is give it away to something else, to another worthy cause. Hopefully a nonprofit, religious nonprofit, that's great, right? Not to like your kid or your wife or something like that. Just give it, give it away. Why? Because our hearts are so, like Jesus would say, our hearts are so attached to the allegiance of wealth and money and our value is so attached to that and our image and our ego that when we give that away with no expectation return, it feels like a complete loss. And so we're like, we're messing with our whole paradigm of stuff. We are, we, we're doing this in a way that's not self-seeking. Um, we, 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 we do this and we're saying, this has no, this has no uh, uh, compensation for me. There's no response that I get to that. I'm just giving this away. I'm trusting God that you're gonna do with this what you wanna do with this and, and I'm, I'm releasing this, all right? So, I mean, that's all, these are private disciplines and I, I decide I'm gonna do this. I, I'm not gonna wait. I'm not gonna wait until my schedule tones down. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just de- de- decide to be a part of this. All right, number three, personal ministry. People would say, I begin to grow when I put myself in a ministry, when I put myself in a position to volunteer somewhere, to give myself away in ways that I did not feel comfortable for, that I was not ready for, and that I did not have time for. And it might be a ministry within the church. It might be a ministry with a nonprofit organization. It might be something at work where you, you just volunteer and I'm gonna give, I'm gonna, I'm gonna consider this ministry. I'm gonna invest in this relationship, not because it's gonna get me further up the corporate ladder, but because that's just what I need to do. This is my personal thing that I'm gonna engage in. And let me tell you, you're never gonna feel ready. That's what these people, when they go through this, they go, I wasn't ready. I was so busy. Everybody's so busy. Have you noticed that? You're never, if you say, if you come to me and you're like, Brent, I'm super interested in some sort of a volunteer work, but here's the deal. I'm really busy right now. When things tone down, here's what I hear, never gonna happen. And maybe I'm cynical, but listen, people went through a two-year pandemic and they were still too busy to do things. I'm so busy, man. You haven't left your house in two weeks. What are you talking about? Well, this Netflix does not watch itself. So, I mean- I have got it. Listen, you're never going to be ready. Well, if I, I'm just not ready to, oh, I'm not ready to, 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 to lead this. I'm not ready to go down there. I'm not ready to, to, to stand up in front of people and talk. Listen, nobody's ready. 
We, we put people, we put unqualified people in positions all the time. The person sitting in this chair right here is an unqualified person to do what he's doing right now, right? You, you, you will come to me and I'll say, you're gonna do your first serve. We're gonna throw you into the kids ministry or the, or, or the coffee team or whatever and be like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I know, you'll learn. It's, you're, you're learning on the ropes. You're, you're doing this in, in service. You're gonna make this thing happen. You're gonna grow into it. Now listen, we have standards, we have expectations, right? Because if you come to me and say, Brent, just throw me in wherever. I'm gonna say this. Well, great. Today, after service, before you leave, if you don't mind, we have an event in the building this week. We're gonna stack some chairs on the side. We've got some carts. Before you leave, you just stack your chair in. Boom, ministry, immediately. I'll put you to work right away. I'm not gonna do a background check for that. You're good. If you say, if you say Brent, I'm interested in doing on the, on the coffee team. I'll be like, great. Let's go grab a tray. Let me introduce you to Renee. She leads our team. She'll get you on the schedule. It's great. If you say, Brent, I'm interested in some sort of, I see you guys have nonprofit connections and, and you, know, you push this where love thing. Help me, I'm, I'm interested. I wanna serve. I say, great, Travis right here. He'd love to connect with you and, and find a place for you to plug in. If you come to me and be like, dude, I own a white unmarked van. I'd love to serve in kids. I'd be like, hey, this is great. Here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna stack some chairs and I might give you a coffee trip. You're not touching the kids' room. You know what I mean? That, but when people begin to serve, you grow into that. You're not qualified. You know this at work too. You've sometimes, you, you've been promoted into positions. You're like, I'm not qualified to be here, but I'm gonna learn on the job and I'm gonna get there and I'm gonna be better for it. I'm gonna make some mistakes along the way and I'm gonna hope that I've got some people above me who are gonna have grace in this and, and help me grow and learn from my mistakes and do this. But personal ministry, you grow through this. People, people look back at me like, I grew the most when I was overwhelmed, overmatched, underqualified, and yet God used me anyways, personal ministry. All right, these first three things are all things you can do, all right? This is, um, this is stuff that like, uh, you make the effort, you can, you can put forth the effort. The last two are gonna be things that you can't do, you can't plan for, they just happen to you, okay? But these things you can do. And what's interesting about this is Paul writes a letter to a church in Philippi. And when he begins to describe his level of personal faith and his spiritual growth, here's what he has to say in chapter three, verses 12 through 15. I'm not implying that I've already received resurrection, guys, or that I've already become complete and mature. This is Paul, by the way, who'd written about maybe 13 or so New Testament books. This is Paul who went on three or four missionary journeys, planted a bunch of churches, has done more for Christianity than, honestly, when you, when you talk to people uh, who are not really religious, who are looking at Christianity just from a secular sort of standpoint, um, they put Paul and Jesus basically on the same level in terms of who made the most difference in Christianity, right? And they're not talking theologically, Christ died or whatever. They're saying Jesus is up there, but Paul is definitely up there. Christianity has just as much to thank for Paul as they do for Jesus. That's crazy then to think about that and then to hear him say, I'm not there yet. I've got work to do, guys. I'm not complete. I'm not mature. No, I'm hurrying on, eager to overtake it because King Jesus has overtaken me. My dear family, I do not reckon that I have yet overtaken it. But this is my one aim, everything that's behind, to strain every uh, nerve to after what's ahead. I mean to chase on towards the finishing post where the prize waits for me, or wait, waiting for me is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Those of us who are mature should think like this. If you think differently about it, God will reveal this to you as well. I mean, even for somebody like Paul who had done so much, there was still room for growth, more to experience, more to comprehend. And the terminology and, and the vocabulary that he chose to use to describe where he was at was hurrying on, overtaking it, straining ahead, making it seem like spiritual formation in the mind of Paul is more like an athletic event than a Bible study. 
I work at this. I have to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to wake up early. I don't want to go out in the cold. I don't want to run. I don't want to do this, but I do this because I know it's right for me. He's looking at this going, I didn't want to do some of these things that were going to reflect in growth for me, but I know that that's what I need to do, that I'm putting myself out there to be able to make these things. There are things that I can do that I'm responsible for. All right. Let's, let's talk about these last two then. If, if those are three ways that God uses to grow our faith that we can do something about, that's good. We got some homework. We got some things to work on. The last two, things you cannot plan for. <clears throat> One is providential relationships. This is the idea that God places people in our life just the right time, saying just the right words. They're just the right person for that event. You can't plan for that. You can move into a neighborhood. You can, you can try and surround. You can get in a small group. And sometimes small groups are great, but they're just friends. They're just people. You can try, but it's, it's super weird. You can't go to somebody and force, you're gonna be a mentor for me. They're like, get out of here. What are you, who are you? What are you talking about, right? You can't force that. There are sometimes things that just work and you could say coincidence or religious, you could say, God put that person in my life for that season of time because I needed that right then and right there. That's what I would say of providence relationships. I don't want to go too much more into that because we talked about a little bit about this in the find your people piece last week. I do think finding your people puts you in a space that becomes fertile soil for providence relationships, but you can sometimes find your people and still not have a providence relationship be like, my faith grew when I met so-and-so, right? But I do think that there are people who would look back and be like, so-and-so took me under their wing. I began to meet with him or her daily or weekly or, or, or monthly or something like that. I begin to let them speak truth to me, truth that nobody else could speak to. And then I grew as a result of that. Finally, pivotal circumstances. God grows us through pivotal circumstances in our life. Things that happen to us that completely wreck us, change us, make us better. I mean, better or worse. I mean, it, it, it can kind of go, go a bunch of different ways. We, sometimes we'd call these defining moments. In fact, if I didn't have to stick with the P frame you know, of mind, I would probably have said defining moments in our life. But defining doesn't start with a P, so I didn't do it. Listen, uh, melodramatic people seem to have a lot of these things, but for the rest of us, these are kind of few and far between. They're a little bit more rare. They, they don't happen as often as, as maybe we think, and, and they can take the form of you know, simple things like uh, things in our life that we'll never forget, holding our child, our first child in our hands for their very first time, the drive to the hospital, uh, walking to the altar, the moment that she comes around the corner in the wedding dress, the honeymoon, the, the first job, the promotion, the, uh, you know, I mean, like all really good things, moving into your first home, moving to a new city. These can all be pivotal moments for us that can shape us in, in different ways. Sometimes they can be more uh, uh, in the vein of suffering and, and misery and, and bad memories. A painful, pivotal circumstance would be a, a divorce, an affair, being fired from a job, the betrayal of a close friend. All kinds of different ways. These moments either deepen or damage our faith, right? Pivotal circumstances can either deepen or they can damage our faith. There's potential both ways for these and you can't program them. You never see them coming and you don't really know the full impact until you're experiencing them or on the other side of them. That's what they are. And it's not the event itself that erodes or builds our faith. It's our interpretation of the event. How do we interpret it and interpret what happened? The reason we know this is because we've seen people go through things where it affects people differently. For one, they walk away from the faith entirely because of it. And the same thing happens to somebody else and they're more, they use that as a spark to go closer to God than they've ever been before in their life. 
There's a, uh, a story that was in Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs, um, where Steve grew up in a, in a quasi-religious home who they go to church occasionally. And he talks about this one time where he read in this article in the newspaper of something happened in a developing country that was tragic. It was famine. It was, I can't remember the exact scenario, but it was, it was not great. And he, he cut out a clipping of it, took it to a Sunday school teacher. And this, is this the God that you're talking about? This is the God who quote unquote loves us and allows something like this to happen? If this is the God, I'm out. And he never set foot in church again. It, that was the pivotal circumstance that shaped him and, and moved him away. And then, but then I've got a friend, Brittany, who, who moved to rural Haiti, saw just as much tragedy, just as much famine and, and loss and all kinds of terrible things, awful things happening to people, war, people, selfish people in power, taking bribes, not really administering, doing their job, doing, I mean, just tragic stuff. And it inspired her to grow closer to faith, to be a part of a solution for it, Right. To, 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 to look at this and say, this doesn't drive, this doesn't make me question the goodness of God. It just means I have more work to do and more kingdom living to bring into this space. So it's not really the pivotal circumstance that shapes us, but our interpretation of it, who we're doing life with, how we read it, how we experience it, what we decide to do as a result of it. Inevitably though, you can't program them, you can't force it. Those things just happen and you grow from it or don't grow from it or grow away from it. Grow into a relationship or grow out of a relationship with it. But either way, the means in which our trust either increases or decreases is to the extent of which we participate in one of these things, in one of these five things, right? And so for me, as, as a pastor of a church and organization, if this is what I believe about how God works, I wanna do everything within my power to function our programming and our teaching. I wanna build environments where these things take place, that Sunday mornings is about this, that groups and community stuff is about this, that, that where love's about this. I mean, we're, we're trying to function. Every, everything that we do isn't one effort to try and match all five of these things in the same environment. Every environment has a different target that we're trying to say in this, when we do this, what we're trying to do is work with the current that God works in this way, right? And, and, and the same thing for you. Like you're, you're looking at your life going, this is what I, I have to do. All right. And lastly, so now we know the definition. We think that it's an increasing level of trust. We know sort of the means in which I think it happens. And lastly, the evidence. How do we know that it's working? How do we know that we're better off now than we were then? How do we know that this is succeeding, that we're growing, that our faith is growing or our trust is growing in, in God and who he says he is? We love to see how things are doing, right? We love checking on logging into our retirement account. We love seeing uh, my favorite piece of mail is the statement from my, my bank that owns the loan uh, to, my, to the mortgage on my house. Because they send me these little receipts. They're like, hey, guess what? You paid off $60 of your principal last month. And I'd be like, thank you. That's so great, right? I love seeing that number dwindle down. Oh, I swear to you, almost every month I go to Kylie and be like, here's our number. This is our number. This is how much we owe, Right. And she's like, how many more years is that? And I'm like, don't ask that question. But it's, it's shrinking every month. It's getting a little bit lower. We're, make, we're doing good. We're making progress. As parents, if you have a student, you love getting those student assessment things in the mail. The kids hate taking the test. The teachers hate administering them. But you know who loves them? Parents. Tell me how smart my kid is. Give me a graph. Give me a chart. What's the number? What's the average number? What, what's, what's the average kid at? What's every kid in my school, all right? And then, and then I get to be like, oh, there, here, here we go. You know, here, here's, the, here's the chart. And then, then, <laughs> then your wife has to go, no, it's like this. And you're like, oh, <laughs> son of a gun. We got to get that kid tutoring. Um, but we love assessments. We love to know kind of where we're at. Uh, so, so how do you know that you're growing? What's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the 
goal in this? How do I know if I'm growing spiritually? How, how do I know if my trust is growing? I, I, I think for me, and, and I hope this makes sense to you because I think it makes sense to me. It's the shortening of the time in the window of time or the time frame window between knowing what I ought to do and me actually doing it. How do I know if I'm succeeding? It has to do with me going, I know I ought to do this. And now here's me doing this because I can delay this for a really long time. But what that reflects is I don't really trust God. It reflects a lack of spiritual maturity in my life because I can say that I trust him, but then if I'm not doing what I know I ought to do based on my convictions of my beliefs, then I don't really trust him because you only believe the things that you do, not the things that you say that you do, right? So on a practical example, uh, it's, it's a picture of my wife getting on her knees and looking into the eyes of my five-year-old son saying, Clive, how many times should mom ha- have to ask you to clean up after yourself? And his answer is the answer that we all know, right? It's always one. And how many times has mommy asked you to clean up after yourself today? 17. Yeah, you know what I mean? I mean, like, when you trust me more, when you're more in line with what I want you to do, it's like this timed obedience where I should only have to ask you once and you trust me or you, you, you respond to me or you love me or you you know that this is what's best for me. I trust that mom, you have what's best in, in, in mind for this. And so you only have to ask me one time. So when, when, we, when we come to this and we go, I feel convicted like I should be doing this. And then we delay and we talk ourselves out of it and we say, yeah, but what about this? And we do, what about this? And we just push that thing back and back and back. What we're revealing is just a lack of really trust in who God is and what he is and what he wants us to do. My sense of ought, here's, here, this, is, this is, I think, important too. My sense of ought and your sense of ought uh, evolves as our faith grows. Our sense of what we ought to do evolves as your faith grows. When you start out on the faith journey, your sense of here's what I ought to do might be small. And then I think once you begin to respond to the light that you've been given, then that begins to grow and grow and grow more. And that Paul would say, I'm, I'm my faith, I'm still learning what I ought to do. I'm still, I have not achieved. Uh, guys, I'm not there yet. It's still, it's still increasing. That God, it's like a dimmer switch principle. It is, is, it's, as it comes, it grows more. When we say yes to God and, and say yes to, to trusting in him, it grows and grows more. And as soon as we start saying no, it shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. And, and our life is this continual ebb and flow of responding to the light that we have, responding to the odds that he's given to us, evolving in that way. I also think in that sense, I'm not accountable and you're not accountable for that which we did genuinely don't know I ought not do. I'm responsible for the things I know I should do. God does not hold me responsible for the things I, I genuinely do not. Now I can kind of play the game and say, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. Like every kid, like, I didn't know I was supposed to not call you and check in with you. I didn't know I was supposed to not go to the, you know, whatever, not respond. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to clean my room, right? You're like, you did, come on, right? Let's not play that game. That's a dumb game. But when, when, when you look at them and you say, I I am responsible for that which I know I ought to do. If I don't know I ought to do it, then what happens there is God's grace is in my life to to overlook those temporarily while I'm growing into that phase. And the problem that a lot of church people have, and if you're not a church person, this is gonna probably resonate with you, is maybe, you know, the reason that you stopped going to church is because um, you showed up and, and somebody else who has, is operating on a different level of oughtness looked at you and said, you ought not do that. And you're like, dude, who are you? I, 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 it doesn't feel like it's an ought for me. That's not an ought for me. 
They're like, well, you gotta get out. You gotta, we, we try and police people towards this. We're gonna police people into the kingdom, which is a terrible way to do things, right? Uh, and we're, we're not allowing God to work or just God's spirit to work in their life. We're, we're gonna do the work for him. We're gonna settle this and we're gonna help you out. It, it's like, we, we, we liken, if you come to a, a 101, we say there's a ladder of spiritual maturity. We're kind of climbing up the ladder and churches are notorious for taking off the bottom rungs being like, you gotta be way up here. You can come be a part of this as long as you're up here, right? And it's like, you've made it impossible for everybody else. You, you, you've brought your level of, of it into it. And it's not, it's not really healthy or genuine at all. Um, we don't really truly understand God's grace for everyone in this. And we don't recognize the blind spots in our own life. We, we have many steps to go up the ladder too. So we hold people accountable to something we are not willing to even do to ourselves. Our, our faith, if, if Paul's faith is growing, he's a better Christian than you. I promise he's a better Christian than me. It's okay, I can say that. If his faith is still growing, he says he's still got room to grow. I do too. So God, I'm thankful for the grace that you've extended to me for what I don't even know I ought not to be doing. Give me grace to, to respond positively to the things that you're, you're leading me to. Help me to respond as, as timely of a, as a manner I can so that I know I'm trusting you more. And God, would you work through practical teaching? Would you work through like different things that I'm listening to, people that I'm listening to? Would you put me in public, personal ministry spaces that make me uncomfortable, but like stretch me? Would you help me with the private disciplines piece? Would you play, when pivotal circumstances happen in my life, would you help me interpret it in one way that would direct me towards you? Like all of these things, these are critically important as the light is revealed more to us and we can grow into that. Now, I wanna put some, I want, I wanna put some flesh on this in, in a way of looking at one final story and we're gonna end our time with this, um, of how this played out in the life of one of the most famous disciples ever. His name is Peter. Peter was one of the guys early on who was called to be Jesus' disciple. He sees him fishing on a boat with his family business and says, Peter, follow me. He leaves the family business, decides to follow Jesus, spends three years of public ministry with him. Eventually he would go on and pastor, uh, be like the pastor of the whole organization, like the CEO of Christianity, right? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a big deal. When they would hold a council, everyone would look to Peter in, in terms of, we think we wanna do this. Peter, what do you think? I mean, that's the kind of authority this guy would eventually have. But in the early stages of it, let's, not, let's backtrack a little bit from that. He's invited to walk away from a family business and he does so instantly. He leaves his nets that day and leaves, which is gonna say a little bit about the kind of person that he is. He's a, he's a jump two feet in the water sort of person without seeing what's going, you know what I mean? Like I, I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna go in full, full, full bore and I'm not gonna really test the waters. I'm just jumping in, right? Um, which is gonna happen literally in a, few, in, in a few minutes in the story as well. He would follow Jesus around for three years of his public ministry. He would become one of his 12 uh, that would eventually become the 12 disciples. And then even within the 12, Peter, James, and John, access to Jesus like no other. I mean, everybody wanted to be Peter, to have access to Jesus like he had. I mean, he wouldn't write necessarily one of the gospel stories, but the, a lot of the gospel stories would be centered around him. Mark would get his information almost exclusively, church tradition says, from Peter, that Mark would interview Peter and said, what did you know about Jesus? Here's what I knew, here's where we went, and here's what we did. Um, eventually, uh, Jesus, you know, Jesus starts talking in year three of this public ministry sort of campaign about something's about to change and transpire and things about to shift and it's about to get more dangerous for all of us, but especially me, um, I'm gonna die and they wouldn't understand what he meant. And they'd be like, cool, you know, that sounds really sucky. Hey, when you come into your kingdom, when you make sure that we're on the right and the left? And he's like, are you hearing me? Like things are about to get dark and bad for all of us. 
yeah, 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 you shouldn't talk like that, Jesus. And they're like, and Jesus is like, you just don't understand it. You'll get it someday and you'll write about it and the church forever will read about it and you'll embarrass yourselves. But anyways, um, Jesus is with, uh, or Peter's with Jesus in the garden when uh, the disciples can't stay awake and pray with Jesus. And then Jesus begins to say, uh, you know, I've, I've got to go and do something. And Peter says, I'm going to, we'll follow you anywhere. And he's like, you're, you talk such a big game, but you don't even, Peter, you're going to deny you even know me three times. In the next 24 hours, before the rooster crows tomorrow, you're going to deny even basic knowledge of an allegiance to who I am. Peter says, that's impossible. That's not, not going to happen. And, he, and Jesus says, just remember this. Just remember what I told you. Remember these words. Then soldiers walk into the garden with torches in hands, coming, expecting a battle, expecting a fight. Jesus is there. Why have you come with torches? I'm, I'm like right here. You could have arrested me in the street anytime, but now you come like an army, like we're like some sort of military resistance force. That's not who we are. That's not who we are. Immediately, what does Peter do? Pulls out a sword, military resistance mode, right? Jesus is like, I just said, that's not who we are. Why are you doing this, Peter? I'm defending you. And he cuts off the ear of one of the guys who comes again. And Jesus reattaches the ear and says, Peter, knock it off. That's not who we are. What are you doing? You're, so, you're, such, a, you're such an uncontrolled force, man. You're all over the place. Do you understand how all over the place you are? You're here. I'm telling you, just recognize the, the lack of maturity in which you are operating with. You're a basket case of, of energy and, and that's not who we are. You know, that, you know me. You've been around me for this long. You think this is what I want? He put, eventually puts the sword away. Jesus is taken off and hauled away and arrested. Peter would then kind of try and get basic knowledge about what is happening to his master, to Jesus. Over the course of the next 12 hours or so, he would find himself trying to get information from people and people would catch on to kind of what's happening. And be like, hey, you, weren't you like one of his disciples? And be like, no, I don't even know that guy. And then a teenage girl goes, yeah, 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 I recognize you. You were definitely one of his disciples. And he's like, stop it, young girl. You don't even know what you're talking about. A teenager accuses him of something and he like can't even stand up to her. A, a couple hours ago, he pulled out a sword to like fight the guy to the death. What are you talking about, Peter? You're all over the place, man. Denies even knows him. The rooster crows. He sees Jesus. It's like this movie moment where the eyes connect and he realizes, oh my God, I failed him completely. Then he watches his savior die on a cross and he thinks it's all over. And he thinks, that's it. Everything that I've kind of invested in my life, that's... This is the whole, I, I, was, I was completely taken in. That's, such, that's so me, to leave a very successful family ministry, to dive into something head first and to be completely wrong about it. That's so me, so stupid. And he's probably beating himself up for it, beating himself up for denying Jesus, but then also just beating himself up for going, I, I feel bad about that, but then it was, it was a waste anyways. Like my whole life is turned upside down. I'm sure he's in that moment thinking, I'm, I'm an idiot. And so what does he do? He does what we do when we think we're idiots. We go back to what's safe. The next day he's back on a fishing boat or the next week or whatever. He's back on a fishing boat. He's out there fishing again. And in John chapter 21, Jesus makes an appearance. He's now risen from the dead, but he hasn't risen. He hasn't approached his disciples in any way. He's on the beach building a fire, cooking some breakfast. And some people see him across the way and they go, who's that guy building the fire? I think that might be Jesus. Peter looks out and he sees him. And at one point, then he begins to recognize who he is. And what does he say he does? Freaking jumps out of the boat and into the water and starts swimming ashore. Everybody's like, dude, we can get there. We'll be there in 30 seconds. Nope, that's not how I live. I live my life crazy, bro. Let's fight. Let's do this. Let's deny. Let's, I'm, I'm up and down. I'm an emotional basket case. And then all of a sudden I see some sort of redemption and I'm like, I got to go see what this is. I'm, I'm jumping out of the boat and I'm swimming ashore. 
And Jesus meets him on the shore and he has a conversation with him. And the conversation is powerful, right? I mean, it's this, it's this massive story of forgiveness that's like, like it's heartbreaking when you, when you go through the emotions of this. Jesus looks him in the eye and goes, I know what you did. It's okay. I get it. That's you. That's life. That's, that's human to, to, to operate out of sense of self-preservation. I know you didn't mean it or you, I know you're, I know you're kicking yourself for what you, what, you, what you said and what you denied, that you denied basic even knowledge of me. But listen, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, I can't even believe that you'd be asking me this question. Of course I love you. He's like, then feed my sheep. And Peter probably nods and says, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I didn't know you own sheep, but I'll find them. And I'll, what do they eat? Well, I'm, right? And it's only, and then, and then Jesus does the same. Hey, Peter, do you love me? And he's like, we just talked. Are you, are you crazy now? Like, of course I do. I love you. Feed my sheep. He's like, we've talked about these sheep. You still haven't told me where they're at, but I'm in. And then he goes, Peter, do you love me? And I think at that moment, Peter realizes, I denied him three times. Here's what he's doing. He's restoring me. He's, he's addressing it. He's bringing it to the forefront. He's saying, I know what you did. You know what you did. It's okay. I forgive you. Do you love me? I, of course I love you. Feed my sheep. That's like this emotional, like, oh my gosh, this is a powerful moment. If you've ever been betrayed by somebody and then you, you, you're, you've, you've betrayed somebody and then they come to you and they're like, it's okay, let's, let's, let's work through this, right? The end of Ted Lasso, my wife and I are watching Ted Lasso, right? Like if you've watched season one of Ted Lasso, this, coach, this, this person hires this coach because I want you to screw this team because it helps somebody. And, and she goes, I've, I've done everything to betray you. I've done everything to be awful to you. And what does he do? He sticks out his hands. That's all right, I forgive you. Like you watch that and you're like, everybody tell us that last one because of that moment right there. Because that, that's, that perspective of a forgiveness is so rare. And it's so like, that's not what I would do. I'd have all kinds of words. I'd have all kinds of things. Jesus on a beach looking at Peter going, it's okay, man, forgive you. I forgive you. It's okay. You're restored. I can recognize what this is. And then, and then guys, this is, the, this is so good. This is where it ends. These are his parting words. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus to Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, they'll stretch out your hands and somebody else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said, and this is John now. John, the, one of the, the, the three, Peter, James, and John, he'd be one of the three disciples with, with, um, with Peter who, who would have such a personal perspective and write with such emotion about Jesus, has this little interpretation for us in case we miss it. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God, the death by which he would glorify God. Not the, not the death that he would die, but the way that he would go out and he would glorify God with his death. Then he said, follow me. Peter, church tradition would say, would eventually um, be arrested and uh, convicted and put to death for not believing what he, not talking about what he believed, but talking about what he saw, which was a resurrected, somebody that you, Rome, said that you killed isn't actually dead and that his empire is better than your empire. And they would say, you can't talk like that. You can't, you can believe what you want to believe, but quit walking around saying you're an eyewitness account to something that, that we're not, power, like we'll, we'll prove to you that we're more powerful than you. We're going to kill you. We're going to crucify you a traitor's death, the one that's reserved for the worst of the worst, right? And he's like, that's fine. And church tradition says that it's not scriptural. This is just what we know, uh, that, that he was crucified. But he says, I'm not worthy of being crucified straight up. Crucify me upside down. I, because my master who is, you know, is, above, like, is the thing, is, is the savior of, of the world, the, the God's heaven sent, the Christ, the Christos. He was crucified. And I'm not even, 
in the same boat as him. So if you're gonna crucify me, that's fine, but do it upside down. He, he's making that, that kind of a maturity, that kind of a level of decisions. And, and what Jesus is saying is when you were young, you get to do whatever you wanna do. And you did all kinds of things. And you left, you, you operated with all kinds of different emotions. You were all over the place, man. But when you're old, you'll stretch your hands out. You'll accept things as they come. You'll not try and take control. You're gonna be on a, such a level of trust. They're gonna, you're gonna stick your hands out. They're gonna take you where you do not want to go and you will die for your faith, but you will do it out of a sense, uh, because you trust so much that this is what the best way to glorify God through this death, through my death, through my sacrifice, through your martyrdom. There's a high level of trust involved in this that you would not do at your young age because you were too ambitious, you were too all over the place. But your spirit, you're so mature that when God calls you to do this in this response, your response is to hold out your hands and have somebody else take you where you wanna go. Man, that's big. I'm thankful I don't live in an era of time where I don't think my pathway, my chosen pathway, your chosen pathway is public martyrdom, okay? Thankful for that. But what that does is it's inspiring to me to get to the spot where in my life, I'm consistently presented with, here's what I know I ought to do, what I need to work on is shortening that time frame between I know I ought to do and, and walking through this. And that's gonna be a sign of spiritual maturity. And, and, and I know it, it means that there's an increasing level of trust. And the way that it comes through for me is through a bunch of different ways, specifically the five that we've mentioned, that God's not done working with me, that I, like Paul, am straining towards what I had. It's an athletic event for me that I'm reaching and training for this. He's not finished with me. And that my life and your life is characterized by growing spiritually. So I think a great endeavor for you, for me, to resolve to grow spiritually this year, to watch our trust levels increase, to look back and say, how do I know it's going, it's going well? When I know I have to do it, and then I, and then I find myself doing it. That's when I'm, I'm, I wanna shorten that time frame up as much as possible. God, give me the grace. Give me grace in the areas that I don't know. Give me wisdom to know what that looks like specifically. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of Peter Thank you for Paul's writing about his own personal journey with this. Thank you for the work that you are not finished with us. May you give us wisdom to discover what this might look like for us in our life that occurs to do something about it this week in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.